Welcome to the Tech Meme Ride Home for Monday, February 4th, 2019. I'm Brian McCullough. Today, soon you'll be able to play Xbox Live everywhere. Google unveils Live Transcribe, Slack files to go public, the most crypto story possibly ever, and why CAPTCHAs have gotten so difficult lately. Here's what you missed today in the world of tech. According to Windows Central, at GDC 2019, Microsoft is going to announce an Xbox Live SDK, which will enable cross-platform gaming play on iOS, on Android, on the Nintendo Switch, and of course on Xbox and Windows PCs. So gaming on whatever device is at hand, this would be that. Quote, Microsoft already has a few games with Xbox Live support across mobile devices, most notably via Minecraft, which requires an Xbox Live login on Android, iOS, and Nintendo Switch. Until now, Microsoft reserved Xbox Live support on those platforms for its own games. But now, Microsoft is aiming to bring Xbox Live cross-platform play to even more titles. Developers will be able to bake cross-platform Xbox Live achievements, social systems, and multiplayer into games built for mobile devices and Nintendo Switch as part of its division-wide effort to grow Xbox Live's user base." End quote. So this touches on a couple of our long-running narratives, aside from the gaming everywhere narrative, gaming on the device at hand narrative. This also touches on the sweet, sweet subscription revenue narrative. But also, think of the narrative about how much Fortnite has revolutionized how the gaming industry thinks about gaming. Fortnite has proven that being platform agnostic, being playable anywhere by anyone at any time, can help you achieve such scale that you could have an addressable market in the billions of gamers, something that none of the existing gaming platforms have ever achieved. As user Avers underscore G4G Media tweeted, quote, If this wasn't some form of typo, this is huge news and will change the industry going forward. Xbox Live coming to 2 billion devices, end quote. And over the weekend, someone pointed out to me that Another wrinkle to this larger narrative is the idea that with this sort of streaming gaming, you'll eventually be able to play with anyone, not just those on the same subscription platform as you are. Not sure how this plays into that, though. But this is all aided by the fact that your phone is close to becoming powerful enough to be a legit gaming rig. Sorta. To get there, we still have to get that cloud streaming gaming thing working well. And again... Guess who's pretty adept at the cloud? It's Microsoft. Quoting from Windows Central again, As mobile devices become more viable as core gaming platforms, Microsoft's service presence on platforms like Android and iOS is becoming increasingly crucial. Combining this new SDK and streaming services like Project xCloud, Microsoft has a chance to tap into a huge new market while also bringing traditional game developers on PC and consoles along for the ride. End quote. Google has announced two new features that could be transformative for the hearing impaired. Live Transcribe is a near real-time transcriber, and Sound Amplifier is what you think it is, sort of a hearing aid app for your phone. Both are available in beta right now for Pixel 3 phones and on the Play Store. It's the Live Transcribe thing, though, that seems to be the coolest. Quoting Dieter Bone in The Verge, when you open the app, it simply starts writing out what it hears in large, easy-to-read text. It works remarkably well, including adding punctuation and even understanding some context. 
The example Google showed us is that it was able to correctly capitalize the phrase, I am buying a new jersey in New Jersey. Unfortunately, it does require an internet connection to work. Although it's pretty straightforward, Live Transcribe does have some subtle features that make it a little easier to use in the moment. A blue circle in the corner pulses slightly to show the ambient noise level so that you can visually see if you need to move the microphone closer to the speaker for it to work. You can also hit a small button to bring up a keyboard to type out replies if you need to. Finally, if somebody starts speaking after a period of silence, Live Transcribe will vibrate the phone to let you know to look at it to see what's being said, end quote. Apparently, you can set a primary and a secondary language, and there are over 70 languages currently supported. Notable that Google does not allow for saving or storing transcripts for later rereading, and Google wants you to know it is not storing either the transcripts or the audio on its servers for obvious privacy reasons. Android only for now, but Google hasn't ruled out an iOS version. Slack has confidentially filed to go public, according to a company press release this morning. Quoting CNBC, the company hired Goldman Sachs to lead its initial public offering as an underwriter, Reuters reported in December. Slack has raised about a billion dollars so far, according to Crunchbase. Slack is planning to pursue a direct listing, sources told the Wall Street Journal, according to a report from last month. If Slack follows through with the direct listing, that would make it the second big technology company to do so, according to the journal, following Spotify, end quote. Bring on the big 2019 IPOs. There's always stiff competition for a story that could be described as the most crypto story ever, but this one really might take the cake. Quoting from Gizmodo, Canadian crypto exchange Quadriga CX says it cannot repay most of its $190 million in client holdings after its 30-year-old founder, Gerald Cotton, the only person who knew the passwords in its cold storage unexpectedly died in India in December 2018, Coindesk reported on Friday. In a sworn affidavit with the Nova Scotia Supreme Court, widow Jennifer Robertson said that Quadriga CX owes its customers some $190 million in both cryptocurrency and fiat money. Quadriga CX has filed for creditor protection because it says it cannot access the funds stored in cold storage, just the comparatively smaller amount in the hot wallet used for transfers, end quote. Widow Robertson apparently has Cotton's laptop, but she doesn't know the password to get into it, and a security expert hired to try to get into the computer has not, as of yet, been able to bypass the encryption. I'm going to add this, quote, Some other reporting has suggested it is possible some of the funds in question moved after the case was publicized, and though the evidence was not definitive, it and the strange circumstances of Cotton's death spurred accusations that his demise was either faked or the pretext for an exit scam by other parties with access to the holdings, according to CCN. However, Robertson included a death certificate in the filings, Coindesk wrote, end quote. So I can end with this tweet from Tom Gara, quote, My assumption, re this story, is the funds were stolen slash embezzled, but it is genuinely funny that one of cryptocurrency's features is it's like money, except if you lose the password and it disappears forever, end quote.
Does anyone remember Aereo? It was a startup that let you stream live local television by recording the free over-the-air signal and then selling it to consumers via a streaming app, essentially. In 2012, NBC, CBS, ABC, and Fox teamed up to sue Aereo out of existence, ultimately convincing the U.S. Supreme Court that the service violated copyright laws. But now someone else is taking a run at this idea, and he thinks he's found a loophole. David Goodfriend is a former media executive, former staffer at the FCC, teaches law at Georgetown, and was a White House deputy staff secretary in the Clinton White House. So this is a man who might know where the loopholes are. And what's the loophole in question? His service, called Lowcast, is a free streaming service with currently 60,000 users, but it's also a nonprofit. Quote, We really did our homework, Mr. Goodfriend told the New York Times. We are operating under parameters that are designed to be compliant within the law. The Copyright Code has an exemption for nonprofits. Mr. Goodfriend, who does not draw a salary, said he has collected $10,000 in donations so far, mostly in $5 increments. He took out a high-interest loan at around 15% to fund the operation, which to date has cost more than $700,000, end quote. Again, currently 60,000 users of Lowcast in a handful of cities. To stay within the law, Lowcast has to launch city by city because it has to install signal equipment in every city it operates in because retransmissions can only go to local residents. If you use the service, you can stream local over-the-air content to any device you want completely free. You could have watched the big game last night for free on your phone. Why is Mr. Goodfriend doing this? It's basically on principle. Television signals and spectrum are owned by the American people, so they should be free. Quote, I ask people all the time, do you know you're supposed to get television for free? Mr. Goodfriend said during an interview in Central Park, gesturing to a gaggle of visitors. Most people under 50 don't get it, end quote. An Apple rumor not involving the iPhone for once. Apple Insider noticed a recent patent filing for what would essentially be a single-panel glass keyboard. Quoting Apple Insider, published on Thursday by the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office, the patent application for the simply named computer with keyboard that effectively describes how a keyboard could be created without moving components. In Apple's proposal, a glass sheet would be used in place of the movable keys with raised sections to denote where each key is located. As the user presses down on one of the raised key sections, the keyboard detects the force input to that, quote, key and handles it in the usual way within an application. The use of raised keys would enable the proposed keyboard to offer a form of tactile feedback to users, allowing users to know exactly where their fingers are placed in relation to the center of each key. While this is similar in concept to a virtual keyboard on a screen, such as on a smartphone or tablet, it is much harder to touch type on a virtual keyboard due to not being able to touch the keys. To provide a level of springiness similar to a normal key's deflection, Apple suggests the use of a raised sidewall, around the raised key region, which can be configured to deform on input. In some elements, the keys can buckle, with a lower layer including elements to push the key back into place and to detect each press, end quote. Now, a glass panel would make it easy to reconfigure any keyboard basically on the fly. 
And if you've been following the controversy around the butterfly design keys of the current Mac laptop keyboards, then you'll know that there have been, shall we say, issues with dust getting in there and making keys inoperable. So eliminating all moving parts would fix that issue. But as I'm nowhere near the first to point out, keyboards are not a technology that is broken. Apple is sacrificing a perfectly fine technology on the altar of thinner and lighter, and even if this patent never sees the light of day, I still come back to the fact that I think you buy a laptop because you want a computing device with a functioning keyboard. And at the end of the day, if you've designed away that functionality, maybe you've gone too thin and too light and too far. Finally today, have you noticed that the CAPTCHAs you have to solve to validate yourself on certain websites and services have kind of gotten difficult lately? If so, you're not alone, because apparently as machine learning algorithms are getting nearly as good as humans at text, image, and speech recognition, Google has had to make its CAPTCHAs harder. Too hard for some people, apparently. Quoting Josh Dezeza in The Verge from an excellent piece that gives you an overview of the evolution of CAPTCHA systems and the arms race with robots therein. Quote, The problem with many of these tests isn't necessarily that bots are too clever. It's that humans suck at them. And it's not that humans are dumb. It's that humans are wildly diverse in language, culture, and experience. Once you get rid of all that stuff to make a test that any human can pass without prior training or much thought, you're left with brute tasks like image processing, exactly the thing a tailor-made AI is going to be good at. Figuring out how to fix those blurry image quizzes quickly takes you into philosophical territory. What is the universal human quality that can be demonstrated to a machine, but that no machine can mimic? What is it to be human? End quote. In essence, we are passing through some threshold where in the future there might be no longer any default way to prove that we're human online. In the past, all of these types of systems have relied on the default assumption that there are certain things humans can do better than bots. But the bots have gotten so good at mimicking our abilities, their abilities at these types of proof of sentience systems are actually beginning to exceed ours, at least in the aggregate. In other words, we're passing into some sort of mirror existence where the only way to prove you're human is to be worse at proving you're human than the bots on tests that are supposed to prove that we're human. It's essentially like that replicant test from Blade Runner, the Voigt Humph test, I think it's called, but in reverse. So consider this some sort of tiny milestone in the race between humanity and the robots. Quoting again from The Verge, in his book, The Most Human Human, Brian Christian enters a Turing test competition as the human foil and finds that it's actually quite difficult to prove your humanity in conversation. On the other hand, bot makers have found it easy to pass, not by being the most eloquent or intelligent conversationalist, but by dodging questions with non sequitur jokes, making typos, or in the case of the bot that won a Turing competition in 2014, claiming to be a 13-year-old Ukrainian boy with a poor grasp of English. After all, to err is human. It's possible a similar future is in store for CAPTCHA, the most widely used Turing test in the world, a new arms race not to create bots that surpass humans in labeling images and parsing text, but ones that make mistakes, 
miss buttons, get distracted, switch tabs. CAPTCHA tests may persist in this world, too. Amazon received a patent in 2017 for a scheme involving optical illusions and logic puzzles humans have great difficulty in deciphering. Called Turing Test via Failure, the only way to pass is to get the answer wrong. That's all for today. I've been Brian McCullough. Follow me on Twitter at BrianMCC. Talk to you tomorrow. You're in a desert, walking along in the sand when all of a sudden... Is this the test now? Yes. You're in a desert, walking along in the sand when all of a sudden you look... What one? What? What desert? Doesn't make any difference what desert is completely hypothetical. But how come I'd be there? Maybe you're fed up. Maybe you want to be by yourself. Who knows? You look down and you see a tortoise, Leon. It's crawling towards you. Tortoise? What's that? You know what a turtle is? Of course. Same thing. Never seen a turtle. But I understand what you mean. You reach down, you flip the tortoise over on its back, Leon. Can you make up these questions, Mr. Holden? Or they write them down for you? The tortoise lays on its back, its belly baking in the hot sun, beating its legs, trying to turn itself over, but it can't. Not without your help. But you're not helping. What do you mean, I'm not helping? I mean, you're not helping.